Hi, I'm Tess Harper, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 151. And this, of course, is the weekly look into what's coming your way as far as the latest movies, remakes, sequels, and also what's coming your way as far as TV and movie DVD releases. And, of course, our interview segment, which uh, brings you an interview with someone from the movie, TV, or music industry. And this week, we have a great guest coming your way. Uh, of course, it's Oscar weekend next week, and we, uh, of course, are going to celebrate that by bringing you an interview with a person who is an Oscar nominee. Back in 1986, Tess Hopper was nominated for an Oscar for her role in Crimes of the Heart, and it was her first time out, and she's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about being nominated for an Oscar, and it's all coming up in just a few minutes, so I hope you're going to stick around for that, and Tess will be joining us then. And uh, let's see, what else we got coming your way? We uh, want you to join us at onscreenandbeyond.com and check out our movie reviews and our TV, DVD releases and all that sort of stuff. We've got all kinds of things. we just got a whole batch in, and uh, there's some British ones that we've gotten here. And it's uh, Garrow's Law, which is an excellent show, and there'll be a review coming up very shortly on that. And uh, also Midsummer Murders, which is uh, really good. And... Uh, this is what I missed. Uh, Who do you think you are? Which is on NBC, and it's it's one of those ones where you know you didn't catch it then, but you catch it on DVD. That'll be coming out on DVD in a little bit, a couple of weeks, I think it's coming out. I got a review copy. It's really a good show. You might want to check that out. And of course, the uh, actual uh, you know new shows are on right now. They've uh, started their second season, so check that out. And Man in a Suitcase from the '60s was also uh, one that I received, and uh, that one's got a. A lot of uh, a good spy show from the 60s, sort of about the time of uh, the Man from Uncle, that type of thing. But it's a little more serious. So it's pretty good. Check it out. And uh, all the reviews are there at onscreenandbeyond.com. So what do you say? It's time now to check out Remake Madness next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness. Well, we've talked about this one before. The remake of 1985's Red Sonja. You know, we've talked about it. It seems to be stuck in the talking stages for years now. And they still say it's going to be made. They're throwing around different actresses' names. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, no one seems to be too overly excited about getting this one done. But we'll keep you updated as it moves along. Also, an update on 21 Jump Street remake. It looks like Ice Cube is in talks to join the cast of a film that includes Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum already. And the remake of Spider-Man now has an official title. It seems it will be called The Amazing Spider-Man. Hmm, seems so I've heard that one before. <laughs> They're really getting original there. All right, well, that's about it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming movies.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Upcoming movies, well, Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Irons will star in The Words, and the film is a drama about plagiarism, and the film is written by the writers of Tron Legacy, who will also be directing it. And uh, Jennifer Gardner is filming a movie called The Odd Life of Timothy Green. It's about a childless couple who bury a box in the backyard containing the wishes for a child. And soon a child is born, but Timothy is not all he appears. And in December of this year, you can check out 10 Year. It's about a group of friends who reunite 10 years after they graduate from high school. And Channing uh, Channing Tatum and Kate Mara and Justin Long will star. That's about it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's check out Sequel City. Find out what's coming away as far as sequels right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, Captain America is not even out yet, but work has begun to write Captain America 2, and of course things could change if the first one tanks. And another movie not out yet, but planning a sequel is Conan the Barbarian, and Conan 1 is still set for release in August. And the Sherlock Holmes sequel with Robert Downey Jr. will be called Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. That's it for Sequel City, coming up next on On Screen to Be On... TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, April 26th. You can look for Growing Pains Season 2 as it lands on DVD, along with The Lucy Show Season 4 with Lucille Ball. And you can check out Ancient Aliens from the History Channel as it arrives on DVD on June 28th. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen to Be On, movies coming your way on DVD. It's next right here. Movies on DVD, well, here's a bunch that are still in theaters right now, but uh, they are going to be coming out uh, fairly soon. Nomeo and Juliet will land on DVD in July, and in June, look for The Eagle as it comes to DVD. And also in June, Sanctum from James Cameron will swim into home video. That's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen Rihanna, we're going to be chatting with none other than Oscar-nominated actress Tess Hopper. She's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, I'm honored to have as my guest an actress who has been nominated for an Oscar for her role in Crimes of the Heart in 1986 and nominated for a Golden Globe for her role in Tender Mercies in 1983. She won a Screen Actors Guild Award in 2007 for outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture for No Country for Old Men. It's Tess Hopper. Tess, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, I'm glad to be here. You know, Tess, um, it was an honor to meet you, but growing up, as a little girl when you were in Arkansas? Yeah. Did you ever dream that you would be making all these films and, and, and different things that you've done? No. I mean, you know, your your dreams change a lot from the time you're little. I mean, my first 
the first room I wanted to do, I wanted to be a dancer, which I couldn't do because there wasn't a dance teacher in 100 miles. And then, you know, I would love to have been, my first performance, you know, daydream was to be like Mary Martin, to be a Broadway. Mm-hmm. And since I can't sing or dance, that took, <laughs> took out two of the major qualifications to be a Broadway success. But, I, I mean, they've always been kind of performance-oriented, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just didn't dream, especially when I realized how hard it was, that it would be possible to do it. You know, once you get old enough to try to get realistic about your dreams, you manage to, like, pare them down so that they don't resemble anything you have when you're a little kid. Yeah. So this was quite quite a dream come true for me, yeah. So, so how did you get directed into acting i mean you know well i have a degree in theater and it was one of those things that walking into the theater department in college it was home you know when you feel at home i mean i say that and then the first week i was on set with uh tender mercies i realized that this was home for me you know among these trailers and moving parts of scenery and and camera equipment this felt like home. So it felt more than when you were you were doing the stage acting. Well, I love stage acting. It's just you can't hardly make a living at it. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you actually get the part on uh, Tender Mercies? Well, I ran into a casting director, uh, Rester Saul. Her name uh, was Sherry Rhodes, and she did a lot of local casting for movies coming into Texas at the time. Texas was a pretty popular destination for film crews. And I did a workshop with her, and she said, I have this Australian director coming to town that he has a project, and I'd like to have you read for him. And that's how it started. One of your first big roles. Uh, that, that was it. You're, you're getting uh, all these nominations, the Golden Globe and all that. It, it's, it must have been, your head must have been spinning. <laughs> well, it would have been spinning if I hadn't waited for over a year for it to see the light of day. You know, we would go to lunch. We would break for lunch while shooting Tender Mercies. And mm-hmm. we'd sit around the table, you know, the crew and everybody at lunchtime. And you go, well, this is. This is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. You think anybody will ever see it? Nah, we don't think anybody will ever see this film. <laughs> so, you know, we knew we were doing something special. We just didn't know if the world knew how special it was. Yeah. Now, when you do a film like that, and, and of course this is, I'm sure, with any film, uh, depending on if it's uh, d- distributed by a major motion picture company or something, but sometimes it's, it is a couple of years before it gets out there, isn't well, it? Well, it was 14 months, and a lot of it had to do with, uh, we were an EMI picture, which uh, Universal was its distribution arm, mm-hmm. and Universal had also put a lot of money into a picture that year called uh, Scarface. Right, yeah. And they had also done another picture with EMI called, it wasn't the year, Cross Creek, which was the, the Martha Rawlings story, the woman that wrote um, The Yearling, with Mary Steenburgen. Uh-huh, yeah. So they had these two quote-unquote little pictures. And, and Tender Mercies isn't a one-line hook to, you know, tell me about your picture in one sentence, you know, so we can get people. <laughs> and it's not one of those stories that you could tell. and. Right, it's One more sentence. complex, yeah. yeah. Now, when you, you got onto that film, was that your very first role? Yeah. It was. I mean, that, that was that was it. You just <laughs> just come across with a, a role like that. Now, how was it working with Robert Duvall? 
It was absolutely one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. I mean, uh, you know, you can le- you learn acting. You know, everyone goes, I'm going to acting class, and I'm studying with this teacher, I'm studying with that teacher. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it's a learn-by-doing I'm sure, yeah. thing. And, and when you get uh, in a scene with people who you absolutely worship their approach to their art and what their art delivers, you learn so much just being in the proximity of those people. So it was like a master class for me. It yeah. was amazing. Did you know of Robert Duvall's work before Oh, yeah. You I mean, you know, I did. My mother didn't. But, right. yeah, I knew. I, I mean, I was a big student of, of, of theater and film. And so, yeah, I knew about his work. You know, don't forget Godfather came out when I was still in college. Right. And it was like a major moment in anyone who studied acting. For my generation, it was like the best of that generation actors on that. True, yeah. I mean, it was just the most remarkable thing. Yeah. And now, how about Crimes of the Heart? Uh, how did you get that role? Well, Beresford directed that as well. And the, they he knew that the three McGrath sisters were going to be big stars. And he had gotten to know me. And he said, you know, I think you could do chicks. So that's how that came about. Hmm. Now... And this is a tough question, and, 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 but of all the roles you've done, is there one that was your favorite? Well, you know, things are fa- – that's like saying which one of your children do you like True. best. Um, <laughs> obviously, Tender Mercies, because where it happened in my life and how it happened in my life. And it also was written by the extraordinary Horton Foote. Right. Yeah. You know, that – I mean, it's hard to cap that. It's hard to top that as far as just the – of that script and how brilliant it was and, and my part in it. Um, and and um, Crimes of the Heart, which was great fun, was like a huge summer camp for all of us doing it. We just had the best time. Yeah. Um, Bruce Beresford's uh, uh, wife had a child while we were there, so there was a baby born. Sissy had her oldest little girl was a little girl then. Uh, Jessica had two little girls. There, it was just you really got that sense of family, and it was a movie about a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. But we were in a we were in a small town, um, Southport, um, North Carolina, and it was a small town, and you just got that feeling around it. So a lot of what you feel about a motion picture is the experience you had while you were making it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, geez. Now, you know, I mean, we could go, there's so many different films you've done, uh, but uh, there's a couple that I'd like to touch on. Um, one film uh, that, that I enjoyed, but I know the critics <laughs> didn't care for it too much. Uh, it reminded me of the old Hope Crosby road films uh, that I used to see when I was a kid, but Ishtar, uh, how was it working on the film with all those great actors? Well, that, you know, that... That was one. My part was quite small, and it was, I'd never been involved with a project that huge before. I mean, you go back and look at my film work, it's mostly small pictures with small budgets, and this one was beyond anything I'd ever experienced. So even though I was only there a very short amount of time, it just seemed bigger than life. I mean, it was very intimidating to be around that project because it was so massive. Right, yeah. 
another film that I remember you from, and, and I can just remember your eyes, <laughs> your beautiful eyes, <laughs> but um, Her Alibi with, with uh, Tom Selleck. Man, you're pulling them up out of everywhere. <laughs> That's another Beresford film that happened during the writer's strike, and uh, I can't even remember what year that was. 86, maybe, 85, 80, yeah. I can't remember. Drop my head, I can't remember either. Anyway, but uh, it was just one of those things that nothing else was going on, so I just went out and did that. That What I remember most about that film, other than Tom being very nice and everyone being very nice, it was just ungodly hot in Baltimore that summer. That's where it was filmed, yeah. Yeah, it was, out, it was filmed around Baltimore, Maryland, and it was so hot. And that's mostly what I remember from that movie. Yeah. And one thing, when I was doing my research, uh, I didn't realize that you were in Michael Jackson's short video for Black and White. Yes, I was briefly. I, um, George went, and I played Macaulay Culkin's parents mm-hmm. in the very opening of that video. Yeah. So I didn't get to morph or anything. <laughs> and I just remember that being very fast and Michael Jackson being so painfully shy that you just didn't want to impose yourself on him. I mean, he had a lot of work to do. We said hellos, and I just thought, you know, if it's this painful for this child to meet people, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it any worse on him. He's got other things that need to be done, yeah. so... You know, it's, it's really. And know. I remember being very excited because somewhere there was supposed to be a black panther, uh, a real black panther on that set. You know, a yeah. real. So you didn't get to see it. <laughs> but I never got to see it. But it, it, you know, what was amazing about that video is more thing had never been done on screen before, and it just blew people away. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just amazing what they. And did. it wasn't until he died that I remembered I was in that. People started saying, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize you did a Michael Jackson thing," right. and I went. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did do a Michael Jackson thing. <laughs> so, there you go. You do so many things that you just, they just Well, that of... was like one afternoon of my life. Right. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Huh. And uh, now, how did you feel in uh, 2007 when you won the Screen Actors Guild Award for No Country for Old Men? Well, I didn't win it. Well, I mean, cast. I think the Cohen brothers won it for their amazing casting, and I was so thrilled to be a part of what they do and would go anywhere and do anything to be part of anything they do. They're an amazing uh, duo to work for. The work experience is very positive. It, you know, they never pay actors a lot of money to, to work on their films or anyone else. But what you get is movie making at its very best, at its very best. And it also didn't hurt to be in the company of Javier and Josh and, and uh, you know, Tom. Yeah, but, I mean, the whole cast was great. You all did The cast job. was so brilliant. Even Kelly McDonald, she's so brilliant in that. And she's a little Scottish girl. <laughs> and she's just brilliant in that. You know, all of those. All of those characters, and I saw it again when I watched True Grit, because I remember they had decided that was going to be one of their next projects, and I kept saying, isn't there a fat old woman in there somewhere? Uh, But um, you get these wonderful character bits. Uh, Gene Jones, who plays the man at the little out-of-the-way gas station that Javier stops at and flips the quarter, you feel lucky, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, 
he's a working actor out of New York, been working for years and years and years, and that scene was chilling and wrapped up the whole essence of the movie in that one scene. And in the scene in True Grit where she's haggling with the wonderful character actor Dakin Matthews, who's um, and a brilliant Shakespearean scholar and a wonderful actor, and he's the horse trainer that she just turns every way but loose before he finally capitulates and says whatever you want, you know? Yeah. And you get that. Coen brothers go back to a... Um, a kind of tradition among the great directors like Hawks and John Ford that peopled their movies with very interesting people. Yeah. It wasn't just about the main characters blowing through the movie. It was that everywhere they stopped for a second and interacted with anyone, it became something even more meaningful. And I just think they're just kind of the best at what they do. Yeah. Now, you've seen both of the True Grits Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't seen the old ones for a very long time, right. but yeah, I saw but, both of them. But do you think, I mean, are they, do you consider them two different movies or, or one? The... Oh, my God. They're very, well, they're different and the same. First of all, it was such a, the first True Grit was a star turn for the great John Wayne. Right, yes. Toward the end of his life. Yeah. And it was a star turn for this country western singer named Glenn Campbell right. who'd never acted before. Yeah. And the wonderful Kim Darby, who had been in a lot of television work, but, you know, a good actress who played the young girl, Kim Darby. Mm -hmm. And so you remember that, but there's also one of the villains was Robert Duvall. And that wonderful scene where they go, you know, he puts the reins in his teeth and goes off shooting with both hands with his pistol. Robert Duvall's in that group of bad guys riding toward him. Yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because... I mean, I, I've never met Robert, but I'm sure he's a very nice person. But it, but the actor, you you included all your actors, you can make a person hate you. <laughs> Just, yeah, but you I don't think when you're saying, okay, I'm going to play a hateful person, I don't. You never say that's what's motivating me. You really try to figure out from the humanity where these, you know, the selfishness or whatever mm-hmm. it comes from. Although those were very, especially in that first movie, those. Villains were villains, and that's what they were supposed to do. And John Wayne was John Wayne. Yeah. But what, what, um, you know, what Jeff brings to him at this point in his life, and I never met the amazing, you know, John Wayne, but he just brings all that cragginess of his life to that day, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just he's just wonderful. And I think Matthew, Matt Damon is amazing in True Grit and has been kind of overlooked. But he's just amazing. And that little girl is amazing. I mean, you know, well, that's the Coen brothers, these amazing character bits. Right, yeah. Every time you stop for another bit of the story, you're introduced to someone, you know. Right. uh, And I love Westerns. I mean, I grew up with Shane. Right, You know, I wanted to do a remake of Shane, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it... It's just, it's just great to see it. Yeah, yeah. There's westerns coming out, uh, you know, in the next few years. Do you think there's going to be a turn back to westerns? Oh, who thought there'd be a turn back to 3D? I guess there's a turn to anything at some point. (laughs) What you have, though, is that an increasingly urban background for most people who go to the movies. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that being in touch with the West. Yeah. And um, I don't know that there will ever be, I mean, 
westerns were such a uniquely American thing. I mean, people growing up in the 50s in other countries thought all of America was a western. You know, that right. was just what America was, was the man on the horse. Right, yeah. And I also noticed that you uh, have a role coming up in the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Well, I don't know if the, that that's going to get made or not. Uh, I know they had some problems with it, but I'm to, if if it goes, I'm going to play Ma Barker, who was the governor of Texas. Oh, yeah, because uh, uh, she was the one that hired the guy to go after him mm-hmm, and yep. said you got to stop him. Yeah, yeah, because Tanya, uh, the director of the film, uh, uh-huh. was with her last film that she had. She was a guest on the show, and she was telling me that, you know, this was like uh, what, two years ago or something. Right. And she was saying that that was going to be a film she was going to be uh, working on next. So, I Well, saying, I know they've had trouble with funding, so uh, I don't know whether that's up. It's like if I get the call to be on set, then I know it's going. I won't know until then. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But I thought it'd be fun to play Ma Barker. She's a, quite an interesting woman in her own right. When you look at the, a role, when a role is offered to you, do, do you look for a certain twist in the character or anything? Well, I think if you're going to make one, if you're going to make a short performance, like in No Country for Old Men, it, that woman's important to Tommy Lee's life. I mean, that character, the woman that I play, is more important for the depth that she puts into the. Sh- the sheriff's life. She's his bastion of sanity in an increasingly insane world. You know, he's seen too much. And this last thing he goes on, it's just violence beyond anything he can't imagine. You know, it's very much Cormac McCarthy is about redemption through violence in a lot of his books. And he's seen too much. That's why he wants to quit. Right. He just, of course, then he goes and talks to his old cousin out in the trailer and he finds out that the west has always been off and on incredibly violent place to be you just don't want to be on the unlucky flip of the coin yeah uh but i think you know her part anchors him and her the biggest thing she does for him is to listen to him for that last scene so I really think they hired the eyes, and I just can't, kind of came along with the eyes. But, uh, yeah, I think it's important to know where your character fits in into the development of the story and how you help move the story along. Yeah. When you got the Oscar nomination, how did that feel? I mean, you know, an Oscar. Well, and... you know, it's it, it's fairy tale land. It's the phone ringing off the hook. It's flowers on your doorstep for three or four days it's it's giddy it's a very giddy time especially when you're younger and i was like in my uh early 30s when that came and i had a great time with it it was also a year that there was no discussion of who might win it it was so obviously going to be diane waste for hannah and her sisters that it was just a great ride you know you didn't take it too seriously and you just had a great time. Do you remember who else was nominated that year? Uh, Diane Weist, me, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio for The Color of Money, mm-hmm. uh, Dame Maggie Smith for A uh, Room with a View. Wow. I want to say Angelica Houston for something, but not for Pritzi's Honor because she'd won for Pritzi's Honor. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I think that was about the five of us. 
Yeah, geez. <laughs> that's that's a tough choice, though. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough choice, wasn't it? Jeez. Um, well, I, I don't want to hold you too much. I appreciate you taking the time, but I just want to finish up with two questions. What's your favorite TV shows of all time? Of all time? Yeah. What do you enjoy? Well, right now I'm a huge fan of Friday Night Lights. Ah, yeah. I also think the best television program ever made for television to this day is a thing that was on HBO called The Wire, and I don't think television can get better than The Wire. Hmm. Yeah. I just thought it was, I, I don't understand why it's never won the award. Oh, well, it did won a very prestigious Peabody Award, which shows how important it is to, you know, re- representing life in America, but I just think it was it was so perfect, you just couldn't believe when you watched it how perfect that was. I'm a, was a, well, as a kid, I watched the Westerns. You know, I watched uh, J- James Gardner and Clint Walker and, uh, you know, uh, Western The Heroes. Rifleman and yeah. Bonanza and yeah. all of those things. I watched those, and I've always, you know, I'm a big TV watcher. I love television. Really? I've also never seen a masterpiece theater that I didn't love. Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, it was a window to the world for me, and being highly imaginative, I pretty much went right through the box and yeah. interacted with all of them all the way through it, so... Yeah, those are my favorite. And then, of course, you go back to the most perfect comedies ever done. You get into the Barney Millers and the Mary Tyler Moores and and, and just the most exquisite, I mean, you know, um, uh, Meathead and, uh, you know, Archie Bunker, those people that just you just couldn't believe what you saw and the amazing Smothers Brothers comedy hour. (laughs) There was... I mean, I'm old, so I, I it's like, and, and television came of age as I started growing up. So, you know, it was, to me, it's been a very big part of my life. And when you live in a very small town, it's really a huge part of your life, right. you know? Yes, yeah. What about the big screen? What what inspired you on the big screen? What do you Well, enjoy? now, you know, I, I, I've, like I said, Shane and right. yeah. uh, High Noon, um the first foreign film I ever saw was right as I started college, and it was Z, and I don't think I was ever the same after I saw Z, because it was also a political film. I understood the, I didn't understand the political ramifications of High Noon until I was much older and looked at it. Yeah. But, and it's, it's, it's rife with, the, with what was going on with the McCarthy era, is right there on high noon, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I loved on the waterfront. I, I just, but but I also loved cheesy things like Desiree, which was a, mm-hmm. a, a Marlon Brando playing Napoleon. Which, if you look at it now, is is hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love this. I mean, and, and the things you saw on television because they were even old and when I was growing up. The, the Thin Man, and oh, yes, uh, yeah. you know all of those wonderful old uh, comedies that were so where, where speech was important. You know that where where wit was very they spoke very fast and it was very funny. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, Tess, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and, and I noticed when you were speaking to the crowd in the theater, 
you could hear a pin drop. I mean, they they wanted to hear every word that you said. So it was just a, it was a thrill to see you and meet you. And uh, I appreciate you doing the show here. And I thank you very much. Well, thank you. Hey, a big thank you going out to Tess Hopper for joining us and taking the time to talk to us and uh, sharing those stories with us. We enjoyed it very much. Uh, I did anyways. I hope you did too. And let's see, uh, next week we got another great guest coming away, and I've been digging and digging and digging and trying to get more and more people. Uh, we got a lot of other good people we're connecting with. Uh, some people were, you know, in talks right now whether we can arrange a date to get in there and uh, do an interview with them. So uh, hopefully we can get those people too. Um, but anyways, if you have a suggestion to somebody you would like us to try to get, uh, you can email it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll see what we can do about that. That's a wrap for now, so until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zumrak. Take care.